This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 126 of the Healthy Critters Radio on Horse Radio Network. Healthy Critters Radio is brought to you by Biostar US. Find them online at biostarus.com. On today's show, we meet with Dr. Rob Franklin and his mission to help working equids in South America. In Patapedia, we get tips on checking temperament in puppies and dogs. In Critter Nutrition, Tigger answers a customer's question on muscle-building diets for horses. And in Coffee Clatch, we match famous comedians with dog breeds. Listen in. I'm Tigger. I'm Patty. And I'm Coach Jen. I'm the ringleader here in this here circus. <laughs> I feel like I should have a top hat and a big long whip and a red coat. I, 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 no, I want to hear a whip. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, have, I have one of those sound effects somewhere. Oh, that, or just the sound of the big top. You know, that kind of Barnum and Bailey music. That would be yeah, awesome. that would be a lot of fun. Oh, that would be. Yeah. But here, here we are at our chit-chat part of the show. And once again, Patty and Tigger have made the amateur mistake of letting me choose the topic. Yeah. You should know better. We should. We should. But what I want to know, later, later, later in the show, saddle pads are mentioned. So that got me thinking because saddle pads is a favorite for equestrians to collect. You have 30 million saddle pads, a stack of 17 of them, and you have one horse, right? And you can never throw one away, ever. No. Right? right? doesn't matter how worn out it is. You'd never put it on your horse again, but you can't throw it away because so-and-so gave it to you, or your horse wore it when he got his first first blue ribbon. It it goes on and on. And we all have something we collect. So, Tigger, I want to know what it is that you collect. Dust. (laughs) <laughs> no, that's cheating that's, okay, that's cheating Tigger <laughs> um, I collect dog leashes <gasps> interesting dog <laughs> leashes I have so many dog leashes it's, it's ridiculous dog it's embarrassing now you do, do you dog I, do. I was going to say, do you ever put your dogs on a leash or do you just like to collect them? Well, I, I do, you know, like to go to the vets and things. I have to put them on leashes. But I I don't know. I have leather leashes. I have show leashes. I have practical leashes. I uh, – cotton leashes. I, I it's, it's silly. And <laughs> – and yet, when I want to find a leash, I can you never find, find it. <laughs> oh, that, that. oh, that's so funny. I have leashes in the car. I have leashes in both cars. I have leashes by a, a certain door going outside. I have leashes in the. I have a cabinet that's just for dog things. I have leash a leash in my bedroom. Um, <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> Um, that might be getting too personal, Tigger. That's <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So uh, I collect leashes. You collect, Patty. 
Oh, well, I mean, the saddle pad thing, I realized actually I would not have been able to, I wouldn't have said that had I not gone in a drawer in the barn today. And I was like, ah, I have literally 15 saddle pads in here. So saddle pads down, like, and just hands down. I do love a saddle pad. The, fir- um, the first I- step is admitting you have a problem, Tigger. Yeah. yeah, right. Um, of course, Tigger, you said dust. I'm going to say just animals in general. I collect animals in general. But uh, uh, kind of a funny thing, because I don't know that I would have thought of this, but um, socks. I like socks. I like cute socks. I <laughs> like, love socks. Socks, yeah. Socks. I think socks. giving socks for Christmas is one of the best gifts ever. Yeah, yeah. I would, I, I would agree. And I, I, I get cute socks. And one of my friends um, had been at a place, I think it was a San Francisco sock store, and they have like all these um, funny things on them, um, sort of like, you know, you know, you can never have too much wine or ones that you can ever have. Funny socks, socks are the yeah. best. Yeah. Um, and then one, you know, once she gave me, she goes, I love my job. Just kidding. <laughs> you know, just like stuff. So I love socks. So I think I'm going to say socks. Your sock out. Interesting. Yeah. What about you, Jen? Do you have a... Oh, I'm, I'm a bit of a collector overall, but I was trying to think of something that I have a lot of. I never feel like I have enough of them and I will never throw away. Because it has uh, to be all three criteria. I'm a halter collector. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> I cannot bring myself to throw away a halter, irregardless of whether or not I, I have an animal either. that will fit. Doesn't matter how many, how Doesn't broken matter. it is, how rusty Doesn't, it is. I, you never yeah. know when you're going to need it. And I, I tend to, um, I tend to harvest parts from them as well. <laughs> you know, because you can't th- you can't throw away those little D shaped rings. You can use them for no. something, right? Yes, you can. Yes, yeah. you can. I'm terrible about halters. Too many. Okay. I have too yeah, many too. Yeah. Is it bad when you're having this conversation and you hear somebody say, This is something I collect and you're like, Yeah, me too. Like I'm like, <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> totally have. I don't know if I have as many leashes as you have, Tigger, but um and I certainly don't have them in my bedroom, but um, <laughs> at least, but um, yeah, I totally, I, I never throw stuff out like that, Jen. Like I always, and I always recycle the parts always. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. There we go. So it's halters and it's socks and it's, uh, it's dog, and dog leads. There yeah. you go. But okay, we're about we're about to meet a very interesting vet who may have a need for our halters and and, and uh, socks. Um, he works with equids, um, the working equids in South America, and uh, volunteers his time to provide farrier service, dentistry, and um, you know, and their nutritional warming needs. So um, let's let's meet Dr. Rob Franklin. And we are here with our guest, Dr. Rob Franklin, DVM. He is a a new vice president of the AAEP. That's the American Association of Equine Practitioners. But he has a a particular passion for equids um, south of the border that are the, the working animals. And that's why we're thrilled to have him on today to talk about um, the mules and donkeys and horses that um, are needed 
by impoverished people um, in South America. So welcome, Dr. Rob. Welcome. Hi, Tigger. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so I, I know I have a very small statistic from your website, 80 million of these equids. That's around the world, correct? That's a lot, right? It, it's it's it, a it lot. may be as high as a hundred, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a big number. How did you get involved in um, taking care of of these working equids? That's a great question. You know, it's one of those things where we uh, have so many career goals, and and so many of those are about achieving your own uh, sort of status and legacy within your chosen career profession. I think uh, you could probably echo this sentiment, but I think you, you sort of reach a, some of those rungs on the ladder and you, you, you find that, uh, that those just aren't as fulfilling as, as what they might've appeared earlier on. And I think uh, like many of us, you, you start looking for ways that instead of serving yourself, you can serve others. And, and that was a real epiphany that I had. Um, and it was one where uh, I didn't have the answer. It wasn't immediately uh, presented to me, but I, I sort of had the, the notion to go and, and seek. And it was, uh, oh, it was uh, late 2000s. Um, I was uh, planning to to join one of my business partners and 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 classmates, colleagues, roommate, old college roommate and fraternity brother, Dr. Keith Latson, an equine surgeon. I was going to join him and my wife and I were going to go out and run a half marathon in, uh, in Southern California. And, and I told her, uh, I told her, I said, uh, hey, we'll, we'll go and we'll run this, uh, this half and then maybe we'll just run up Big Sur and have a nice, uh, nice vacation. And then it was sort of plan that trip and, and, I got an email that uh, talked about the plight of these working equids and the need for some uh, some equine veterinary volunteers. And I told my wife, we're going to have to put that trip up to Big Sur on the back burner. And luckily, she's my number one fan and my greatest supporter. And so she was very understanding. And I told uh, Dr. Latson, I said, uh, I think uh, I think maybe we've got something that we need to do after this this half marathon. So, uh, we, we finished the race and we hopped on a jet to, to Mexico after that. Wow. And, uh, and went yeah. down and, and got involved with these animals. And it was really an eye opener digger just to, to understand how much, you know, as someone who works on horses every day and, and you see all kinds and, and I've had the opportunity to travel the world and practice uh, around the country and around the world. You know, you, you, you see all types of disciplines and all types of uh, breeds and, and horse owners and great horse people. Um, but this was just a, a whole nother, whole nother chapter. And, and so it was really invigorating, it hit me in a spot where I, I felt very invigorated to, um, to pour back into these, these animals and their, and their, their owners. And, and so it's been a, it's been a nice, um, thing to dovetail into my career um, and it is very fulfilling to be able to to help those people and their animals what are some of the the issues that you see with these equids what what are common i mean i'm guessing you know worming nutrition but farrier i mean it, yeah 
Yeah, you're exactly right. You you probably ticked uh, a lot of the big boxes right there with your short list. Um, it's not complicated, uh, you, you know, and, and, and normally the big problems in the world really aren't that, that complicated, uh, but they are, they are still complex in, as far as the solution to, um, to making lasting change, which is a real, real problem, especially when mm-hmm. you're developing, you're talking about the developing world, you know, there's just, it's just hard for us to go in there and, and do something in, in these societies. Um, but, but these animals are the sort of international Toyota pickup um, for these, these people. So you I can imagine. You, I get it. Yeah, right. You know the yeah. you know what you know the Toyota pickup is around the world, and it's a, it's a way of commerce. It's a way of transportation. It's a way. Uh, and it goes you know, for the, hundreds of thousands of miles mm-hmm. with little maintenance. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, and so. That you know these uh, these communities don't have uh, a Toyota pickup, and they you know most of the uh, people that we we work on their animals in Central America, um, you know these these people make about a dollar and a half uh, to three dollars a day. So so they're very very tight on funds, and they uh, you know a vehicle, and they're living in the mountains, and and so uh, you know even roads are. Are, are not very reliable and, and oftentimes they're harvesting, uh, you know, coffee on hillsides or corn or, or beans or whatever. Uh, or so cannabis. everything is, is quite potentially. <laughs> uh, I don't know that we've uh, knowingly worked for those people, but uh, yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> be a I different topic. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, you know, so these, so they're relying on these animals uh, to take their kids to school to um you know transport their their cargo uh firewood you know these people are living without electricity so the way that they uh you know make their water potable and they uh they they heat their homes and most people think central america is all hot and tropical i mean these people are living at 7000 to 9000 wow. altitude it's you know they need heat they need yeah. a source of uh, fuel to 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 um uh, cook and so that, that all that is by gathered firewood and there's some amazing uh pictures you may have encountered about these animals you can barely see the animal they're carrying so much uh, gathered firewood so so um you know to answer your question um again the, the 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 problems these animals have are not you know completely exotic you you're talking about parasites internal external uh you're talking about um wounds um, largely from uh, poor harnesses and saddle fitting. So some of these animals are cart horses. Some of them are, are, are wearing uh, pack saddles. But a lot of these harnesses and pack saddles are totally homespun. They're uh, passed on from animal to animal. So it may have fit a 600-pound mule and then being put on a 300-pound donkey or, you know, it, it just uh, there's oh nothing really custom fit and you can imagine the saddle source they can be they can just be horrendous and then we see a lot of lameness uh these animals are are oftentimes uh started in their work before their their musculoskeletal system is completely mature so you see a lot of tendon and and bone injury and then you just see you know wear and tear type of injury as well a lot of these animals tigger are those light riding breeds that the conquistadors brought around uh, you know, 500 years ago, and those so were not meant to be pack animals. 
Oh boy. Mm-hmm. And they're real fine legged. And of course they're wonderful to ride for long distances. Just have that lovely gait that, you know, uh, but in terms of being a pack animal, they're not, uh, they're not really designed for that. And so that's where the donkey and the mule, if you see those in those environments, they're, they're very, uh, they're very hardy and, and well-built for those, those types of situations. But we see problems uh, with vaccination. You know, these animals are exposed to tetanus and rabies. There's uh, vampire bats down there. There's, Whoa. Um, you know, encephalitis. Yeah, we see a lot of bat bites on these animals and encephalitis. So uh, vaccination is a big deal. Um, deworming, saddle sores, hoof care, as you mentioned, is a big deal. And then, you know, simple day-to-day stuff that we do here and take for granted like dentistry and like Mm -hmm. castrating colts um you know those things just aren't done there's just not access there are lovely lovely veterinarians down there people that are just uh capable they're they're keen but um you know that there's no there's no there's no economy for those um those services in in the people we're talking about and it's not limited to central or south america it's it's a global thing uh, on all continents. Uh, the developing world represents the majority of the people on this planet. And they're still yeah. uh, like we used to be 120 years ago where they're relying on, on horses just like we used to. Are you um, in touch with Brook International? I have worked with the Brook. Um, okay. Yes. And they, they are a, um, there's a number of really uh, wonderful, uh equine and a lot of them are british and and i guess that's just the british um you know love of the horse yeah so the brook a world horse welfare the donkey sanctuary uh those are all british institutions that uh are just just these huge equine charities and the reason that um that they're just so great is they go into these different areas and they work with um you know, local uh, non-governmental organizations, the NGOs, and they, they establish this sort of uh, 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 network that uh, people like myself can plug into and where they may have resourced farriers and saddle fitters, uh, and we bring in the veterinary services. Um, so there's this ah. huge collaboration in the, in the equine welfare sector that, um, that really does work well together. Wow. Yeah. When you when you take care of um, you know some some person's donkey and you give it a wormer and then you leave, um, you know we know that sometimes a heavily parasite burdened uh, equid can have a reaction to the wormer or will need subsequent warmings to actually clear. So how do you handle that? Yeah, and that's a that's been handled a lot of different ways. Um, to answer your question, we don't see that um, that type of, of of colic or reaction, as you said, um, that we used to see. So uh, when we think about the 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 blood worms, the the worms that inhabit the arteries that mm-hmm. that go to the intestinal tract, and you know, years and years ago, that was a big deal, right? The horses would colic and die from parasites. Yeah. Um, and, and it just doesn't happen anymore. And thankfully we don't see that, um, down there either. These animals are very, very heavily, uh, burdened. We've done studies. We've uh, gone down there and done fecal studies and, and looked at their worm burden and it is, uh, astronomical. Wow. Um, but, 
we have not seen, you know, those typical type of reactions. There are some some groups that will do different types of strategic warming protocols and where they'll um, try to come back 14 days later. The, the tough part, Tigger, is that there's just a, not a very good continuity of care. And yeah. so the, you may or may not see these animals again. You know, we've been to um, some villages over and over again over the past eight years. Uh, and, and, and then it's not like you see the same animal. You're not walking into that show barn where, mm-hmm. you know, Dynamo lives on the third stall on the left. And Dynamo's <laughs> right. been there, you know, for 10 years. And yeah. so I know exactly how Dynamo's healthcare goes. These animals, you know, sometimes the day that we're there in that village, that animal is uh, is out, you know, 20 miles away, you know, bringing in a harvest of corn. And and so you just don't see them. And, you know, we're, we do work with these NGOs that and, and local veterinarians where, you know, they do try to provide some modicum of, of care, but it is um, it's just not consistent. And so, um, you know, and I, I thought maybe the next question you might ask is, is what do you see over time? And that's something that we would love to, to sort of chart and say, you know, we see, uh, you know, a, a, a half or a full grade of body condition score in these uh-huh. animals over time, giving this intervention. And there, there have been some measurements that, that the World Horse Welfare Brook and Doxy Sanctuary have been able to, to do that. And that's really where they, they come in and they've got, you know, full-time um, people to, to do those sort of stuff and, and that sort of thing. But um, I'll, I'll, I'll just be honest and say that this is very much um, – almost a mash unit. I mean, it, you're, you're gotcha. really taking care of them and, yeah. and you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but, um, and I'll tell you one of the big things, Tigger, that is, um, that I find very, two things I find very satisfying. And, and that is, uh, one thing that there's a person tied onto that horse, mm-hmm. uh, or on the other end of that. And, and it's really an opportunity for me as, as a gringo, as, as someone that, uh, speaks a little of the language, but you know, we're, you know, many of these people speak uh, Mayan or, or some sort of Indian dialect that is, you know, Spanish is a second language for them. But, mm-hmm. you know, there's a, there's a chance to sit there and spend time with people that uh, where, where language is not important. That the fact is, is that there's, you know, we're just showing that we care about these people and they, yeah. they understand that we're here for them as much as we are their animal. And, and, while we're not providing a silver bullet, we're not going to undo their poverty or, you know, we're not going to necessarily change their trajectory of their life. But, you know, there's, there's some comfort in knowing that someone else cares about me, even though my situation doesn't change. And I think that we, our teams find that, that feeling of, of, you know, and it, and it benefits us as much as them, but it's just, Hey, I care about you. I see you. I see, mm-hmm. you. I appreciate what you're going through and I care about you. I think the other thing is working arm in arm with the local veterinarians and just telling them that we care about them as well. We, we try to educate, we try to, uh, you know, cross pollinate with each other. You know, they tell us things they've learned about, you know, working on such animals and, and we try to explain maybe some of the more cutting edge stuff that they can take mm-hmm. back into the big cities and they can work. You know, there are some great, great, dressage and show jumping horses yeah absolutely yes there are but uh you know they're few and far between compared to the uh thousands and thousands of of the of the donkeys and horses and mules out there are you surprised at what the donkeys and horses eat in in 
<laughs> because I'm just thinking to myself, yeah, these people aren't going to go out and buy themselves a couple of pails of alfalfa hay. And, you know, it, I, I'm just imagining that the animals are, you know, scrounging for themselves. So they probably are eating quite a variety of plants that horses in, in the U.S. would probably just turn their noses up at. Oh, you are so spot on. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Uh, you know, the average. So we, we, do they eat like bark and. If it's laying there, they'll eat it. Okay. Yeah. So okay. um, tortillas. Yeah, absolutely. What? Uh, yeah, oh, that's wow. a great. That's actually a great calorie corn. treat for yeah, them. Because for sure. These, you know, that's that's corn and fat is what's in a tortilla. Yeah. And a horse can utilize both of those. Yeah, um, sure. So what they typically eat are these, these just tropical grasses that are collected or they're grazed. So the, the, the guys and gals will, you know, go out there with their machetes and they will. And it's, again, there's wonderful pictures of these animals, you know, a little 250 pound donkey, just, you cannot see the donkey. You just see this massive pile of, of grass moving down the road. Uh, and underneath there is a donkey, but they, they'll gather those grasses. Uh, the grasses are very poor quality. Um, they, they're just, you know, obviously it's not an improved uh, type of pasture grass or anything like that. It's just whatever they can gather. And then they will, uh, they'll feed them uh, what they call corn stover. So corn is, is a huge uh, part of the food uh, chain in, in, in Central America. Mm-hmm. And, and so the animals will eat the corn stalks, the corn husks, they call uh, all that corn stover. Okay. And so that is something that's, you know, not very digestible. And here is another reason that the donkey and mule does so well is, is they're able to digest that, that really poor roughage so much mm-hmm. better than a horse can. And they're yeah. also not so prone to getting obstructions and colics from that poor quality stuff. But yes, you'll see them just eating on a, a corn husk, uh, you know, that like we wrap a tamale in and, and, you know, you're thinking there's nothing in it. Well, there's, there's something that the microbes in that, in that animal's gut can, can make something out wow. of it. And then, um, yeah, you know what we try to educate. Uh, malnutrition is is a huge thing. It it is a huge problem. We try to educate people just to be able to let them know what the calorie needs because they think mm-hmm. that their animal looks normal because everywhere you look, their animal looks the same as the other animals. Yeah, right. But for you and I, we go in there and go, this animal looks atrocious. So <laughs> as veterinarians, we'll typically classify an animal from one to nine on a body yep. condition score, a nine yep. being an obese animal, a one being a walking skeleton. These animals are all one Race. or two. Tickers. Whoa! No, one you don't even two. see a three. Holy you don't even see a three. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe the donkeys will r- run in as a three uh, just because they are so so much better able to handle that poor nutrition but uh the horses they're one to twos and of course all those bony eminences uh or protuberances that they have those work against them whenever they're trying to carry a saddle yeah, because absolutely. now you got stuff rubbing against them yep. yeah so it, it's pretty shocking and it, the other thing is they tie them up while the guys are working out in the field they'll tie those animals up along the trail or the road 
and they're tied there all the time. And so the same animals heavily parasitized are defecating and eating in the same stations. And there's just a string of, of animals tied up there while the guys are working in the field. And so they're just eating poor quality feed and just consistent or continuously inoculating themselves with more worms. So it's, uh, it's really a tough situation. Do you see uh, ulcers in these? You know, we don't take a gastroscope down there, uh, so I couldn't make any educated comment about uh, the incidence of gastric ulcers in there. Um, It probably, it wouldn't surprise me if there was some, but I, you know, they're they're not that they are able to forage more consistently like our sta- than our stabled horses are. So meaning yeah. there's, there's stuff going into their stomach mm-hmm. and they also don't get a lot of concentrate, which a concentrate will yes, absolutely. Uh, lead to ulcers as well. Yeah. You know, so, so they're, 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 they're probably there, but not the same situation. Not that the we're debilitating. With horses. Yeah. yeah. What can we do to support your work and all the That's listeners great- out there at healthy critters? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think like anything that you're passionate about, um, you can give, uh, you can give your time, you can give your money, uh, you can give your encouragement and prayers. Right. And so the, the channels for doing that for us, um, are going to be uh, a wonderful, uh, equine welfare foundation It's called the foundation for the horse. And that is led by the, um, the largest group of equine professionals in the, in the world. And that's the American association of equine practitioners. And so we have, we have uh, the foundation for the horse and it's a wonderful group that, that supplies um, many things, including uh, money for research scholarship for equine veterinarians, but also it provides for welfare. And some of that welfare is like whenever we have hurricanes, we have wildfires out Mm -hmm. West, uh, we have floods in the South. Um, anytime those situations, well, the foundation for the horse immediately expedites, um, resources to help those animals, but the foundation for the horse also sponsors the types of trips that we do where we're going in with groups of veterinarians and, and para, uh, professionals and providing the care so that, um, so we get support from that group as well. So that's a great, great thing. You can Google that the foundation for the horse. Um, okay, great. And, and the, that's a great place to give. The other one is called the Equitarian Initiative, and that's um, a group that I was uh, part of uh, uh, forming, and it uh, is kind of a play on words. It's a contrived word, equitarian, meaning that um, uh, an equine enthusiast that is um, uh, attempting a u- humanitarian uh, effort. And so the Equitarian Initiative is a, is a collaboration of a number of us equine veterinarians. We've got people working throughout the world. We've got people working domestically on our uh, Native American uh, reservations with the horses there. Um, And and so the Equitarian Initiative, which is equitarianinitiative.org, is another great place you can can contribute. You can also uh, look for trips that you can sign up. So we do take paraprofessionals. We take uh, just equine enthusiasts. Um, they're, they're typically about 10 to 20% of the team. Um, but, but we, they do join us for, uh, for these trips as well. And it's a great place for people that really want to step out, uh, to, to plug in. People can also, um, 
email me if they're interested and I can help direct them. And, and I've got an email. It's pretty easy. It's just my initials RF at fredequine.com. Fredericksburg Equine is my veterinary clinic. And mm-hmm. I'll be happy because I know there's a lot of, uh, a lot of people that want to do good, they just don't know where to yes. put their efforts. Yeah, in there. absolutely. And, and, and that's been a real big calling for us as well, Tigger, is just finding that there's a number of your, you know, everyone has their equine vet and, and yeah. they, they know their equine vet, but they don't realize is that their equine vet is, is hungry to give back to. And it's been very uh, good to be able to offer those veterinarians a space to give back as well and so we've had veterinarians literally come from europe from the northeast we we have a, a texas-led trip but we have people literally come from around the globe to join us to go down and our our teams are small i mean we're typically eight to twelve people and we'll go down and spend a couple of weeks uh in central america and uh it, it's a great opportunity for those people to give back and then of course, encouragement and prayers are always welcome. And the, and the people you can encourage are are um, uh, are typically in in your in your social network or your professional network. And there are people that are doing that and just encouraging them to keep going. Uh, there's a lot of your veterinarians and and, and, uh, and veterinary assistants that they give back locally. They they may help mm-hmm. with our therapeutic riding center. Um, they may <clears throat> you know do some some work pro bono for for different uh you know groups rescues uh, charitable groups yeah exactly exactly um we we particularly like to champion the the therapeutic riding groups just because um they're they're so tied to the human animal bond and the Mm -hmm. um the good that the horse gives to the to the person and um you just can't beat that so I think that those are the three ways people can get back. And I always appreciate people wanting to ask that question just as you've done, because it, it is something just innately all of us do want to contribute to, to the greater good. Do you need um, supplies like halters, lead ropes, um, saddle pads? I was thinking about these poor donkeys and how nice, you know, better fitting saddle pad would benefit them. Uh, tremendously i know i and and that was an initial uh thought of mine as well and and luckily working with groups like the brook and world horse welfare and donkey sanctuary they've got uh these these very educated people that uh are part of their teams and 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 the big thing that everyone's trying to do is everyone's trying to to help but not hurt and uh and what they try or what the everyone's working towards something sustainable. And so when you go in and you, and you give and you donate a lot of stuff, sometimes you're supplanting the local economy. You could be interfering with that. Um, And you can also, Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and, and you can also begin to, to get that sort of handout mentality. And so that's why we're always working with the locals and we're trying to really feature the local veterinarian, the local veterinary students, the community elder, um, and, and so that we're not like, it doesn't just all fall apart whenever we're gone. And so there's a con- more of a continuum. I, and so that's why they've encouraged me, you know, in, in fact, many of these groups, they train halter makers, they train saddle makers, oh, and, that's you know, they're awesome. trying to get people where you can go buy a rope and you can here you can make a halter and you can sell it for 75 yeah. cents and yeah. now you can make something right. So they're okay. trying to do that. And that's probably a bit more sustainable. The other problem is logistics. 
you know, mm-hmm. to try to bring that stuff in, it gets very, very difficult um, to do. But I was in the exact same spot the first time I came in there. I said, I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm going to go get a big donation of saddle pads because these animals, uh, they need some, they need some saddles. Well, I just have to tell you, Rob, this has been one of our best interviews. It's, it's something, you know, giving back is really what Biostar is all about. And we've been, um, donating to different, um, canine and equine charities since we started in 2007 so to have somebody on uh, of your passion um doing this incredible work i i i want to go to the indian reservation so i put a star next to the equitarian initiative i i think um once i get my vaccines for covid i think i would like to go out um, you know, my ancestors are um, Native Americans, so I have a real yen to go out and help that community. So, thank There's you. A tremendous for, need, so and you'd be. I know there is. I know there is. So, thank you so much for coming on Healthy Critters. This has been a, a fantastic session, and I, I encourage everyone. The Foundation for the Horse or the Equitarian Initiative. Let's get more people involved and, you know, help equids in both hemispheres, in all hemispheres. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello, hello. So we, we have been discussing the things that we collect. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> it's, it's important that we discuss something first before that. Oh, okay. It's Tigger's birthday coming up and we have to have a big cake. <laughs> oh, my friend Sabi, he texted me and he said we should have a bacon cake. But I said I thought that we could also include cheese and ham and egg. Oh, Oh, goody. <laughs> I thought it was very nice of Sabi to reach out. It was, it was wonderful of Sabi to reach out. God bless him. She's so um, smart. He is smart. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank you, Hetty. Um, I, I, I would prefer not to have a cake and, you know, a cupcake for a human would be just fine. You, you don't want to have a baking cake? No, thank you very much. I totally want that for my birthday. Well, we will arrange that for you. Okay, that's nice. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. So now I want to ask you, what do you collect? What do I collect? Mm -hmm. Admiring fans. Oh, yes, that's (laughs) true. Okay. You are a better collector of stuff than we are. Our stuff is pretty boring that we collect. Mm. Halters, saddle pads, socks. Duck. Not Duck. admiring no. fans. It's it's Yeah, no, I had boy. I'm kind of like <laughs> by that one. That's, that's the winner. Ding ding ding. Yep, ding ha- ding ding. Win by collecting. Yes, yes. I win. Thank you you win. Much. 
Uh, what does your servant collect? Pomeranians. Yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> <laughs> Today she rescued another one. It's going to be for adoption soon as, as soon as he gets groomed and cared for a little bit. Then he's going to need a home. Is he living with you? Um, he's actually not living with us due to the fact that perhaps my sister and I were a little bit not nice to him. But um, he's living with other family of dogs on this property. He's a very uh-huh. nice dog. I don't know why I felt compelled to be a little bit of a brat, but I did. Yeah, well, you are he's the very star. well adjusted. Oh, wow. So I don't really have a lot in common with him, you know. Maybe that's what that maybe that's what triggered it. <laughs> yes. I yeah. think so. He yeah. like likes all people, and he's attractive, and he doesn't bite or anything like my sisters. So they don't bite anymore, but they sure were little sharks when they came here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I hope he finds a wonderful home, and I'm sorry that you you weren't nicer to him i'm gonna try again tomorrow i'm gonna okay. find the angel of my better nature oh that's awesome well yeah. and your adoring yeah, I, fans would approve yes mm-hmm. i think maybe i beat it up and put it in a box somewhere so i'm gonna go rooting around and see if i can find it <laughs> great idea hedwig thanks Good for plan. stopping by thanks hetty bye guys Petapedia portion of our show, and I thought it would be a great idea to talk about temperament testing that you can do in puppies and dogs. And the purpose of this is to help the prospective owner, and if it's a, a breeder or a shelter, to help the prospective owner choose the right type of dog for their family. Um, now, and, and it's they do it a lot um, for specific breeds, um, like herding breeds. If you want to, if you want to, um, like Tigger and I have Australian Shepherds, and it's a herding breed. And if you want one that has high drive for herding, there are certain things that you can do um, to see if they're a little bit more independent and higher drive. Or if you want one to be cute and fluffy, like my little Burke, you can do things to test for that as well. Um, the best way to predict these things. And again, none, none of this is an exact science, but it is certainly very helpful because you can get an idea of what you're dealing with. Puppies usually show their personalities really start to come out between six and eight weeks. Um, it's really important to wait as long as you can. Um, uh, a lot of breeders will hold their dogs back. For instance, like therapy dogs, they're going to hold their dogs back as long as they can to make sure that they're truly going to be um, a, a decent therapy dog or a Schutzman breeder would do the same thing, or again, you know, somebody that was looking to do herding. Um, the importance when you're talking, you know, mainly I'll talk about puppies and then we can talk a little bit about, you know, older dogs, is that every puppy in a litter is going to be different. And it's, you know, obviously um, you can see that if you go somewhere um, and you meet the the breeder and the puppies and the parents. Um, and so, uh, there's no one size fits all test, but a lot of breeders, um, you know, assess by doing their, the certain things that they like to do. Um, so the testing, um, 
you can do it as early as seven weeks. Again, they recommend that you do it as late as you possibly can because it gives you it will give you a more accurate idea of what you're you're looking for. Um, so the, there's five different assessments um, in this one temperament testing thing that I found, and um, you know, biggest one is for independence and mindfulness. Um, so what you can do, and again, you can do this with an older dog if it's not real large, but um, it's, it's called cradling. And so you pick up the puppy and you cradle it on its back, like it's a baby and you hold their hand, your hand on its chest and you look into their eyes. And if the puppy accepts this, they will be considered to be a biddable, a, a dog, you know, one that would be um, a little bit more willing and trainable. Again, not an exact science, but those who are a little bit more independent don't really like to make eye contact and they'll squiggle around a little bit. Um, um, another test uh, for independence is to hold the puppy under its arms and its hind legs and leave their legs dangling. Yeah, I mean, obviously these tests are done um, safely and you don't want them that far off the ground, but the idea is to take them and have to have them in under their armpit in the hind legs. And then you, again, want to look directly into their eyes. Um, that will, uh, if they submit to that, that will show a low, you know, a lower scale for willfulness. Um, again, not as independent and ones that struggle are going to be a little bit more independent. And we, when I say struggle, I just mean wiggle around. It's not like you hold the dog there until it stresses out. Um, and again, the breeders generally do this. And sometimes when you go to shelters with older dogs, um, the, they can um, do these things. And But the shelter, the, the person in the shelter or somebody who's, you know, obviously done these before is the ones you want to have do this. Um, another test is noise sensitivity. Um, you can drop, um, you know, keys into a tin pan um, and see how the dog or the puppy responds. Um, if they, they cower, um, they, if they cower from the noise, um, and it's hard to get them out of being coward, then that cowering, that that's going to be a dog, not necessarily that it's going to be a bad dog, but can have more reaction to loud noises. So you may not want a lot of kids around, um, with higher noises. Um, if one acknowledges it, um, why it's happened, but you know, still walks away, that's going to be one that probably is going to be able to handle a louder, um, like a louder home, um, or with other dogs or even with kids. Um, there's one, um, uh, they call it the people friendly test. And so what you do is you see how the dog or the puppy reacts to a stranger walking into the room. So, um, uh, after being, after they've been left alone in the room, and then when you walk back in, if they run over to greet, um, the person, um, uh, <clears throat> then a dog that's going to be a little bit uh, more tends to be more friendly or interactive with other people. And, and Tigger, I know you know this when we've gotten our, our Australian shepherd puppies, I'm sure for you, you would know this better than me. Some are a little bit more, um, I don't want to say friendly to, to, um, other people, like when we go to horse shows and stuff, but others are a little bit more kind of backed off and they want to stay, you know, um, you know, w with us more, Do you, you know what I'm saying? Um, and, um, but if the ones like, you know, if you're in a room with a puppy and they want to run or, um, or cower and cry, that's a good indication of if that's going to be a dog that you're going to want to bring into the public a lot. And then, you know, how you would handle that. Um, 
So testing older puppies or, or a dog is, again, um, you could leave it with the breeder or the person or the shelter person that they know with some toys and have that person that they know leave. And if they come back in and they could care less that the person, their person is left, it's going to be a little bit more of an independent um, puppy if, um, or dog. If the person leaves and uh, the dog or puppy is not interested in toys or the other person, all they do is whine for the person that's gone their person, um, that could be one that may potentially have separation issues. Um, and that's something to consider because that can be quite a hard thing to deal with. The one that's kind of the middle of the road, the puppy that paid attention to the person coming and going but was fine with the person gone, is probably the type of dog that's going to be the most easy going um, dog that won't have separation um, anxiety issues. Um, and again, all of these tests are just sort of ideas of how breeders and shelter people can help people recognize potential problems coming um, with the, the dog that they're choosing. My one dog that I have um, was, to- I was told as a puppy, and this was a very reputable breeder, said that he was just very independent and loved to walk away from other people. And they had done temperament testing and he turned out to be the neediest dog I have in a good way. But so it, you know, these are, these are tests that are, are just guidelines and they can help you get an idea if it's going to be the right type of dog especially if you're looking specifically at a type of breed, make sure you pay attention to what those dogs are bred for and then have those temperament tests done because it will be a good indicator of what you potentially could be dealing with in the future. Um, and it's, it's just a great, it's a great tool to have in your chest, not to look into the future, but to have an idea if it's going to be a good animal for your, for your family. And we are at Critter Nutrition, and I got a letter from a listener, and it's a question, and we call it Ask Tigger. Uh, Diet recommendations to build muscle. Dear Tigger, I recently purchased a horse that was doing mid-level dressage, and I'm transitioning him into a mid-level jumper. I'm struggling to help him build new muscle, increase stamina, and keep his weight consistent, all the while making sure that he has increased energy to jump two times a week. Generally, he is a tall and lean horse to begin with, and we live in South Florida, so I would not say that the grass is the greatest. I have transitioned him to an oats-based feed, Competition 14 from Connolly's Red Mill, and he is on total blood fluids, muscle, total joint care performance supplements, and an electrolyte, as well as camelina oil. He gets Timothy Hay three times a day and alfalfa at lunch. What else can I do to support him? My answer is, looking at your feed program, you may need more protein to build new muscle. The feed he is on provides 12% protein, which is great for maintenance, but probably not enough to build new muscle. Alfalfa hay is a great source of protein with a range of 18 to 26% protein. Timothy hay, like other grass hays, is significantly lower in the 7 to 14% range and commonly around 8 to 9% protein. You would need to do a hay analysis to get a more specific picture of the protein in the hay your horse is getting. You might want to increase the alfalfa by giving him a flake three times a day rather than once a day. 
Using a fat source like camelina is an excellent way to add both long burn energy as well as helping weight gain. You can add additional fat calories such as Renew Gold, which provides a blend of triglycerides from coconut meal and rice band and provides 15% protein. Biostar's approach to muscle building supplements and recovery is a little different from the products you are using. The foundation ingredient for both our impulsion and quantum formulas is a shilajit extract. Shilajit is a bioresin used for thousands of years in Ayurvedic medicine. Its name in Sanskrit means conqueror of weakness. Russian scientists began studying shilajit in the early 1960s as a food to help their athletes. Shilajit is commonly made into tea by the Sherpas in Nepal. Western scientists have discovered that shilajit regulates the mitochondria of the cells. The mitochondria convert fat, sugar, protein, and oxygen into usable sources of energy known as ATP. Low-functioning mitochondria is linked to chronic oxidative stress, diet, and inflammation. Low-functioning mitochondria will increase muscle fatigue, increase joint deterioration, and immune system imbalances. Low-functioning mitochondria will affect muscle development. If the current supplement program you are on for muscle building does not improve your horse's muscles and recovery after 60 days, you might consider switching to a different muscle support supplement. When looking for feed and supplements for your horse, remember every horse is an individual. And a combination of feed and supplements that works well for one horse may not work well for another. Give any new feed plan or supplement a month or more to show positive results in your horse. So we're at Coffee Clatch and we're doing a little matchmaking of dog breeds to comedians. Uh, The comedians we've chosen are Chris Rock, James Corden, Jerry Seinfeld, and Tina Fey. Um, I, I'm going to begin with Chris Rock. I picked the Jack Russell Terrier. Ah, interesting <laughs> choice. Because I thought he would find it, find them very amusing. And he seems like a high energy guy. So their energy wouldn't bother him. And I think he could make great voices for a Jack Russell Terrier. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Patty? <laughs> Um, I chose a basset hound. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, I, I, I don't. It just spoke to me. I just thought that um, you know, I, I just I I don't really have a very good reason other than I just thought it was funny because I think he's hysterical. But sometimes, like I feel like um, I know he's high energy, but I I also feel like in some of the movies that he's been in. Um, I can't think of the one movie that he was in with Adam Sandler and all the families get together, but he was just very basset houndish in that. So that's my, that's my best story. I'm sticking to it. (laughs) Jennifer? Chris Rock. I don't know that I've ever seen a Chris Rock movie. So this one was a tough one for me. Coming to America? I think I'm, yeah, I think I saw that one. That's a long time ago. Uh, Dr. Doolittle? Nope. Didn't see Dr. Doolittle. Oh. Nope. He voiced oh. the, the 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 guinea pig. Ah, oh, okay. I picked yeah. Dober. I picked Doberman Pinscher. Oh. I think that's actually. Yeah, I gotta say that's good. 
Yeah, again, high energy. I got that part. But I thought I I have the I have the feeling that he's very energetic and if he's if you're somebody he's like, he's he's energetic and fun and a little bit edgy. But if he's not if you're not somebody he likes, um could be a little dangerous. He's going to sick his Doberman on yeah. you. Could be like, <laughs> uh, don't want to get on his bad side. Yeah. Yeah. Um for James Corden I had a Siberian Husky oh, because Huskies like yeah. to sing and it could sing with him in carry cars and karaoke. Uh-huh. I like that. Okay, that's, that's funny. I can see the dog sitting in the back seat, you know, going, Woo! <laughs> I like that one a lot. Mm-hmm. Patty? This was my best. I'm just saying this is my best. I totally, hands down, picked a Frenchie. Number one, they're surprisingly athletic. Like, you look at it, the package, you think, you know, build a little boxy, you know. Um, but I find that he is, um, James Corden, surprisingly athletic. And they can sing. There you go. Ah. Just saying. I'm just saying. There's, I think Manny the Frenchie... Um, uh, if you ever go on uh, Facebook, they, I, I haven't seen it in a long time, but the, his owners start singing and, and the Frenchies just start, they, Frenchies have a habit of like, they howl and they sound kind of childlike. So anyway, I, I just thought that would be perfect for him. Okay. Oh, that's funny. Jennifer. Okay. I'm going to credit. I'm going to preface this with, I like you guys' choices better than mine, but I chose bull terrier. <laughs> Oh, interesting. Yeah, no, I, I can do that. I, I, yeah, I can yeah, do that. Yeah, not, not overly energetic, um, happy and <laughs> lovable, but really not all the good looking. <laughs> yeah, like, that's he, actually he, a really good choice. No, that's actually really good. I think that's very good. Yeah. I do too. You love him to death. He's a great friend. He's there for you. He's got your back, but yeah, not, not going to be on the front cover of GQ. Um, Jerry Seinfeld. Now, I gave him two dogs. Ooh. One, the dog that he likes to cuddle with at home, a Pekingese. Because I think it would just make him laugh, this walking carpet of dog. And I think he would make lots of jokes about it. And the dog that he would kind of go take walks with and play with um, would be a Brittany. Oh, yeah. that's interesting. Okay. Patty? Um, I picked an Afghan hound because they're kind of good looking, but just a bit different. <laughs> just, just a bit different. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. Yep. I like that. Uh, for Jerry, for Jerry Seinfeld, I picked the curly coated retriever just because I think he looks like one. <laughs> That's all it is. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Tina Fey. Um, I had her getting a rescue greyhound. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Okay, that's funny. Why? I just thought that she could deal with the 
um, the fact that they like to sleep a lot and yet then, you know, when they want to do something or you want them to do something, they're perfectly happy to do that, but they're not, um, with the exception of Jennifer's um, Greyhound, they're kind of low maintenance characters. Y- yes, you're right. Okay. <laughs> On both counts. <laughs> <laughs> what did you have, Patty? I chose a Chinese custard. Ah, and I chose that just, just because, uh, because it makes a statement. What kind of statement? Only time will tell. I almost picked that for Jerry Seinfeld. But then I, I kept I, thinking yeah. the Pekingese moving across the floor in that funny little gate, and I just knew he would start laughing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jennifer? For Tina Fey, I chose the Rough Collie. Oh. Yes, Rough Collie. Oh. Um, just because Rough Collie, the happy, expressive eyes remind me of Tina Fey. Oh. Happy and intelligent and expressive. Yeah. But not over the top. Just the right. Right. Yeah. I'm going to come and save you because Jimmy's fallen in the well and I'm going to, everybody's going to be happy when we're done. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you have uh, some picks for our comedian celebrities, let us know at uh, our website, healthycrittersradio.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to our sponsor, Biostar US. You can find them online at biostarus.com. Get the Horse Radio Network phone app on iOS or Android by searching for Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free and easy to use. For details about today's show, go to healthycrittersradio.com, where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. As always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook under Healthy Critters Radio. Be sure to visit all the great shows on Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. 